I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Oh, Today's episode of the Better Call Daddy show is about how artificial intelligence can help us carve out a better future. We still need to leave room for creativity and be able to experience life choices, but Simon Hodgkins and I are pretty excited about the path that AI can help us take. Hey, Simon, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I feel like it's been a little while. It's been too long. <laughs> I want to know how you met Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk came to Dublin City in Ireland to give a presentation, you know, the way he does. He's kind of pretty well known for it at this stage. That was probably one of the first times I bumped into him. I have met him a couple of times. It was great to to meet him, to talk to him. And obviously, of course, he was presenting to lots of people at the time. So he's, a, as I'm sure you know, he's a bit of a dynamite uh, when it comes to presenting. He's got his own unique style. But I'd kind of been following Gary since his early days of Wine Library TV. So a lot of people kind of don't know him for that now because he's into lots of different things. He runs a very big advertising agency now. He's acquired a couple of other companies along the way, and he's involved in lots of different areas. But he's been a bit of an internet pioneer since back to the early days of Wine Library TV. So that's kind of it, you know. But I wouldn't say I know Gary really well or we're friends or buddies or anything, you know. But it was great to catch up with him. It was great to talk to him. At the time, he had uh, D-Rock with him. D-Rock was kind of the guy that went around filming him. He was kind of one of the first people to, not to film their life, but to actually convey the message that documenting what you were doing, documenting your activity was a form of content. And I think he saw some extraordinary growth from that. Not that he needs me to say that, of course. What He's do you think well. of Gary Vee as a community builder? He's done lots of different things to build communities. I mean, he'll tell his own story, won't he, about when he started trying to sell wine in the US and everybody said, you can't sell wine on the internet, or maybe it was early days of the internet. And he kind of pioneered with it and he kind of built a community back then of people that were watching him. 
And it was kind of people were turning up to see his personality, his style, his own brand, his own unique way of doing things. But since then, I mean, he's grown a community. He's only got to walk down a road or a street or put out a tweet if he's in a particular city and lots of people turn up to see him. Now, some people don't like Gary Vaynerchuk. Some people don't like his style at all. Some people, he's a complete turnoff, you know. But I, I as with many people in life, I try to pick the good things and leave the things I don't like, whether that's Gary Vaynerchuk or anybody else. I think he's smart. I think he's done an awful lot. I'm sure it's a lot more challenging than he puts out behind the scenes in lots of different areas. But look, hey, he's doing better than most, and you have to give him credit for that. He has made a bit of a dent when it comes to content creation, and uh, he's certainly made a dent when it comes to the advertising world. You know, I mean, I think I've made friends with other people around their love for Gary Vee. Like, that's crazy. How many people can you say that about? Yeah, I mean, he, he's done some interesting things as well. Like he's ha hired out stadiums and, you know, large facilities and he's kind of built communities in the real estate world or, you know, in the NFT world. He got quite in, into that at one stage and still is to some degree. He's got communities in the NFL, you know, through his love of the Jets. And he's got communities, you know, one of his first loves was sort of wrestling, you know. So he's got people that like him because of that. So. He does have this ability to to tap into certain niches, I feel, and tap into, you know, whether it's nostalgia or whether it's actually just people with a passion for something that he's also interested in. And yet when he's running these very large companies, he'll also still shoot video of him going out and doing garage sales or trying to flip things for a few dollars, you know. So he's kind of appealing to lots of different audiences. Now, I think today he has a team around him. He thinks very long and hard about the content that he puts out there and the community that he sends it to and I know that he definitely talks a lot about not just using one piece of content and just putting it out to different you know the same platforms but actually creating specific content for specific audiences specific segments telling a story in a particular way for different audience types so he's a big believer in that and that's kind of some of the advertising uh, discussions that he has with the you know some of the world's biggest and well-known brands because he really wants to move the needle as I say, he he doesn't need my help, that's for sure. But that's his message. And I think from as a community builder, he can certainly do it. But as as with all community builders, you've only got to name the individual and there will be a divide. Some people will like it. Some people don't like it. And I don't think you can build communities and expect them to be for everybody, whether that's in the world of music, the world of politics, the world of business. There is always division. There is always segmentation. We can still have a different point of view. We can still enjoy different things and we can still be friends. And I think community, when you build relationships on that sort of basis or that sort of ethos, I think that's the best type of community. Join if you want. If it's not for you, that's fine. Well, I think that that's a great segue because you also are a part of many communities. I mean, your LinkedIn is crazy. I actually That's reached good. out to someone who you had written a recommendation for, and I don't know the pronunciation of her name, but I think it's Yuka. And she said that you don't come forward, you know, like this marketing mastermind, but you've saved companies. You're an amazing human. She recently missed an event or an opportunity in Dublin in the spring. And she wanted to know what is the next plan for AI? 
<laughs> I obviously owe Yucca some money. Yucca Nakasoni, I think you're referring to, right? Yeah, I mean, what's the question around AI? I mean, it's very kind of it to say those things, but when you've been around a little while and you've worked at various different organizations, you, you kind of learn a few things along the way and you try your best. But she's very kind for saying that. But in terms of the future for AI, hopefully it is of great benefit. And I'm a big firm advocate for something called AI for good. So I think as long as we use AI for good, we're probably on the right track. Will there be bad actors? Will there be detractors? Will there be people that we use AI for bad things? Of course, and it's already happening. But I think if the general greater community is supporting AI for good, and what I mean by that is helping some of the world's biggest challenges, helping people to level up, helping people to level the playing field, helping people to gain more education, maybe to gain more revenue, to gain more of a quality of life, to gain more time, to gain more efficiencies, to help with, and this is a bit of a gray area because it's quite controversial, but to help with the injustice of this world. I think AI potentially has the power to do that. I think what, at the time of recording this, we're at the very tip of the iceberg. I'm sure you'll hear lots of commentators talk about that, but the stuff that's coming is just truly mind-blowing. And what we've got today, if you've been in the internet business for a little while, what we've got today is blowing people's minds. But when you look at what's coming down the road, it's truly, truly both incredible and a little bit scary because, you know, we don't know. That's the honest answer. We don't know. When you move to things like quantum computing, because at the moment we're just talking about AI because it's kind of the latest like, cool thing that we're all we're all mad trying and using all the different tools. And there, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of AI tools being released this year alone. There's far too many to try and keep up with and people are kind of gravitating towards the more well-known ones and trying them or they're on waiting lists and they're on beta trials, etc. But if you then fast forward that and you think about things like quantum computing, which I'm quite interested in too, and you say, well, how far off is that? Well, you know, the, the, the best are that IBM might get there or some other organization might get there in three to 10 years. Some people say it won't be in our lifetime, but that completely changes everything again. So the, the AI revolution that we're in now is, you know, it's data sets, it's large language models, it's doing a really good job at taking natural language and giving us answers in the way that we want. It's also generative in the terms of you can tell it what you want and it will basically put stuff together for you. And that's a great help and a great benefit. Is there a risk to jobs? Absolutely. Will it create new jobs? Probably. Will it help humans to level up? I truly hope so. I'm a big supporter in AI plus humans being the future of work. But, it, you know, it is going to cause disruption. But it, it's a little bit like I heard, I heard a great quote about it. It's a little bit like saying when the tractor was invented, not using it in farming because it was this latest new thing and it was going to put you know farmers out of business and it's a little bit like that ai it is definitely going to disrupt it is definitely going to cause pain but i just hope coming back to ai for good it does an awful lot more good than it does bad and i think that's going to be the case because what we're seeing already is as i said staggering when you combine that with things like advances in computing, advances in things like quantum computing, and advances in AI alone, don't forget this thing wasn't around <laughs> a few short years ago. We're only on, at the time of recording, like ChatGPT4, for example, just to mention one of the larger organizations. We're only in open AI. Apple hasn't really launched much in this space yet, although the 
AR, VR stuff is, is probably coming sooner rather than later. We haven't seen an awful lot of heavier, heavy side commercial use. A lot of the beta stuff is in personal use. It's not commercialized yet. But all that, that all that is changing. There are lots of commercial companies putting their own models together. There's lots of change coming in the artificial intelligence world. And then you've got the top, just coming back to Yucca's question, the question that you put to me. Then you've got the top level question, which is, well, what is true artificial intelligence? And what we have today isn't that. It's really impressive. It's mind-blowingly good, but it is based on data sets and models. As the machines teach themselves and as the machines get better and as the compute power continues to improve, we're going to see even faster iterations of that. We're already seeing the ability for it to, for various models to go out and search the current internet. We're already seeing lots of companies build plugins. We're already seeing lots of organizations building AI models where it can actually just interact with the real world, open a bank account, do lots of things but we're still very much in a trial early early stage of really uncovering what this technology can do some companies are investing significantly in it and others are a little bit scared and trying to shut it down a little bit so a little bit more to play out here but i would say start learning get as much education as you can in this space because it is fundamentally going to change things uh, completely so there you go that's a quick and well not a quick answer but that's a that's a fairly succinct answer to the current state of ai but the honest answer is nobody really knows how do you use it do you use it in your content i use it in personal content but i don't use it in commercial content and that's because of the current restrictions on some of the larger tools and platforms there's also there's an awful large concern around data privacy. There's an awful large concern, particularly with large organizations and brands and licensing. There are quite sizable concerns in that space, although we have seen some moves to that in recent times where you can now turn things off and there's a sort of a promise and a handshake that data will get deleted after 30 days and it won't be used to train models. So we're starting to see that becoming more and more apparent. But there are also organizations out there that are sitting on huge data sets that could easily spin up their own, well, not easily, but they could they could spin up their own data sets and basically use this type of technology themselves. And we are seeing more and more of that. But I think the commercialization of it at the moment is still, still has a little bit way to go before you see more and more big brands doing it. But it, it's, it's like everything, it's regulation. We haven't really seen regulators getting involved. We haven't really seen governments getting involved. There's lots of discussions taking place, but no real hard or fast decisions globally. There are a few exceptions to that that you could point to. Italy would be a, a good example of that, where the regulator in Italy temporarily banned ChatGPT, for example. And the government, it wasn't a government decision, it was the regulator, which I suppose is government appointed, who made that decision. And the government then came out a few days later and said, well, yes, there are risks to it, but we can't afford for Italy to be, you know, left behind when everybody else is, is out busy using it. That was since overturned and, you know, OpenAI in that instance made a few uh, tweaks and changes to satisfy, satisfy a regulator there. But regulators, governments, they're normally a few years behind technology anyway. That's nothing new. It's a truly exciting space to be involved in. There's, there's actually so much to learn. And that's before we get into things like video 
things like bringing back people from the past who are no longer with us, artist rights. We've seen AI creating music, AI creating video and movies. There's a current debate at the time of recording around the writers and the artists and the film directors in the US. And where does AI play a part in that? So there's there's more questions than there are answers. But one thing for sure is I think everybody's pretty much agreeing that the genie is out of the bottle. It's not going back in. We haven't seen anything yet. It's really going to get really, really exciting and fast. And it, it seems to be getting faster by the day right now. Yeah, that's really cool. What if you could have an AI conversation with someone from the past in history? Have you thought about who that might be? Who would I want to talk to from the past? I mean, there are lots of famous people that a lot of historians and, you know, I think back to sort of thought leaders from the past who are no longer with us or whether it's uh, some of the great philosophers uh, of, you know, that we know about and all all these quotes that you see in the web 2.0 world that people keep sharing on social media. It would be great to go to be able to talk to people like that, you know. But it, it really is, at the moment, it's just dependent on training the models and saying, well, here's all the information we know about this. Here's every, here's every word they said. Here's the tone. Here's the style. Here's what they did. Now, act like that person and converse with me. So that that's quite exciting. But when you think about famous movie stars from the past, just to give you an example of that, and you say, well, that person's no longer with us, but back in their heyday, that could be 50 years ago, 20 years ago, they were a megastar. Bringing that person back to life through the use of video technology and artificial intelligence, that's quite an interesting proposition because in theory, and I don't mean this in a, in a strange way, but in theory, the, the, the brand of that person doesn't have to die ever because it's basically ones and zeros. And if you think about the, 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 an example that I often talk about is the Top Gun film, because everybody knows about Maverick, you know, when Tom Cruise sort of recreated his role as Maverick. Well, what in 50 years time, if we wanted another Tom Cruise movie? In theory, we've got more than enough footage of Tom Cruise to create anything we want. Tom Cruise is already de-aged on screen anyway. We know that we use machine technology to de-age him when we see him. And when you see him in real life, he's not quite as, as airbrushed as he looks on video, right? But when it comes to Maverick, the point I was going to make is Val Kilmer, who acted in the Maverick, the, the sort of reboot of the Top Gun movie, he couldn't speak, you know, he couldn't say his lines. So his actual voice in the movie at the end, most people were surprised to find out after they'd watched the movie that that was actually voice, that was actually AI generated. It wasn't Val Kilmer. It was just a database of all the things he'd said in the past mixed together by a very smart audio studio who recreated the voice. So when he was speaking, it wasn't, it was his voice, but it was a synthetic version of his voice it wasn't him actually saying the lines because of his illness at the time he couldn't do it uh, now that wasn't possible 10 years ago you know it wasn't possible five years ago i think that when you think about the world of entertainment the world of film the world of culture tapping into that from a content creation perspective that's really exciting that's that's really interesting and i'm sure there's lots of legal battles to take place we've already seen drake one of the you know big successful uh, music stars we've already seen ai versions of, of of drake and you know he didn't he didn't make the song he didn't say the song we've seen people pushing out the songs they become really really famous and then of course uh, in some cases there's a takedown notice from the the record label the agents uh, etc but it is it is interesting when you see that there are voice voice AIs now where you or I could take on the voice of many different celebrities, whether it's a president or a music star or a movie star. We could pretty much create that today and we could do a pretty good job at video. Although, you know, again, almost, almost good enough. It takes a little bit of skill behind the scenes to make it 
to the point where it will fool a human. The last thing I would say on AI, because I'm giving you far, far too long answers for a very short question that you started with, but the video of the Pope in the puffer jacket type coat, you know, the, the, the brand coat, the long white one, nobody really knew when they saw that image. They just thought, well, the, the Pope's really rocking this style. But he never wore, he never wore that clothing, you know? It was a completely fabricated image. And I suppose therein lies the risk and the opportunity in one image, you know, that kind of tells a story of its own. So what is real in the future and what isn't and what do we class as real? I think that's a that's a really long discussion. Well, I was just thinking about how you can remix any star that allows you to do so on TikTok or Instagram. Like imagine if we could create an AI version of Snoop Dogg and create a song with him. I mean, Gary Vee's now collaborated with Snoop Dogg. Like, how come I can't do that? And maybe in the future, I'll be able to do that. I mean, that would be fun. Yeah, I, I think it would be fun. And I think if there's money to be made, it will definitely happen. I mean, that's normally the, the driver, isn't it? I mean, I was only listening to a snippet of Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., you know, and everybody went when in the movie you know, Iron Man is kind of deceased, you know, that's the end of Robert Downey Jr. playing the part. And he's got a lot of fans. You're talking about community earlier. A lot of people love that genre and they love that sort of, not everybody. Some people don't like that at all. It's not real movies, depending on your community and what you support. But for those people that that like Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man 12 is a possibility now with this technology because whether Robert Downey Jr. has been passed for 200 years or not, we can still create an Iron Man 12 and Iron Man 24. Should we so wish? There's a counter-argument for creativity and the human input and where do we play a part in that thinking and the machines can't be spontaneous and creative yet there is some there is still a little glint of human magic that's required you know, when a, a movie director is shooting a movie, there's something about the shot, the, the years of understanding that and getting the robotics and the computers to take fully over that. It's not quite there yet, but we are tantalizingly close to that future. But we will see. Time time will tell. You know, I, I'm really optimistic that we will do the right thing and that we'll use AI for good. I hope I'm right. Well, plus, when you're filming, things happen that are unexpected magic as well. And if it's all computerized and all completely robotic, where's the room for the magic? Yeah, I think it's true. And I, I think, you know, if you talk about live theater, for example, or if you talk about going to see your favorite rock group or music star on stage, there's a certain energy and a certain atmosphere, isn't there? And a certain feeling, whether that's, you know, the, the music, the ringing in the ears, the, the smell, you know, it could be anything, it could be a number of human traits and characteristics. But then I look at somebody like ABBA, which is, you know, a very famous Swedish group, very popular for many, many years, probably not known to the younger Jason younger generation coming through right now but they you know they recorded a gig in suits that recorded their their movements and then they opened up a venue in the uk where you could go and watch the show every night and it was they were there virtually they were there. they were back at home with their feet up but this this venue was packed out night after night after night after night because for all intents and purposes you're watching them on stage so whether that's prince whether that's snoop dogg in 25 years time 50 years time whether it's elvis presley there's lots of you know there's lots of concepts there that really are going to be quite interesting and quite exciting i do have a little slight hesitation because i do like to see new talent new thoughts coming through and we can't just keep Keep rebooting stuff. And that's the bit where I think AI needs a little bit of help at the moment. I would love to go to an Elvis concert, even if it was AI. I want to find out, like, when did your love of technology begin? How did that happen? 
quite a long time ago, actually. It actually began with an uncle of mine who was a bit of an elect electronics kind of whiz in his spare time. He very kindly was building an oscilloscope. He basically, I used to sit at the table with him while he built it. So the components, that was back in the days of resistors and capacitors and soldering irons and, you know, circuit boards and all that kind of stuff to make an, an, an oscilloscope. And that, I suppose, was, was some of the earliest exposure that I had to. You could actually build a machine that would do something and measure something. So that I had that experience. My school education had a small element of computers. I remember my first computing class. They showed us a punch card with the holes in it, which is, you know, that you literally used to put it in and that was the code. It was the you know the the holes and the and the card representing the uh, the ones and the zeros you know and ticker tapes you know i remember that but we did have a school computer but there was only i think there was only 3 of them and they were very old bbc micro b's green monitors and the chances of hundreds and hundreds of students getting access to this was virtually zero but I was sort of hooked from very early days. In the very early days, I taught myself a few computer languages. I wrote some programs. I sold some games. I used to be featured in a couple of computing magazines and physical print that were very popular at the time. With my uncle's help, I should say, it wasn't all single-handed. But I kind of loved that, being able to create something, being able to put a game onto a cassette that was coded and then other people would buy it. There was something quite cool about that sort of indie game experience. And then, you know, you, you move forward on that and you buy better machines and you end up spending crazy money on Apple products and you get more and more involved in technology. I, I spent quite a long time as a director of various departments and companies in the telecommunications world. So that kind of sped it up a little bit. A few companies that went pri uh, went from being private to NASDAQ listed companies, a few companies that got acquired for a few billions over the years by very large organizations and, and a few startups. You know, I was involved in a, a technology startup for building wireless infrastructure across the country. So, you know, I've always had a little bit of a, a technology uh, side to what I do and it's I suppose it's one of the things that I that I'm interested in I do I am an early adopter I do like to be early on the curve look I'm not you know lots of people have an interest in it more today than I suppose we did in the past you know I think back to that it was the early days of computing interesting how would your parents describe what you do well my parents are no longer with me but I think if you if they were with us and we could ask them today I don't think they'd have any idea what I do I don't think they could actually yeah I don't I don't think they would actually get it I could explain it there'd be a lot of nodding and yeah oh yeah yeah great yeah yeah but I'm not quite sure it would land but that that's okay you know I mean I, I can remember clearly having conversations with my father about his office experience when he worked in offices he you know he worked he had a fairly good career and but he came from an, an, a, a generation where there was a, a secretary somebody typing certainly didn't type his own letters if he wanted to send a message to somebody somebody would come in and take a memo and that memo would be literally walked down to a different room and given to somebody I'm not saying that was right or wrong I'm just saying that was a very different way of operating to today where we have social media smart devices in our hands that ping all day long unless we turn off the notifications and emails and go around the world in split seconds so very different environment I suppose but it's not different to the environment in 25, 30 years time. I will be saying just about hanging on by by my fingertips as the next generation takes over, you know. So I, I think it's I think it's an interesting question. But I think, you know, as we all get older, I think generations change, technology changes. And you see, don't you, if you've got elderly relatives and as you get a little bit older, you see people struggling maybe with some of the newer technologies, unless they've a passion for it and they're really involved in it. So maybe I'll hang on a little bit longer than others. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think the way of operating today, it's very fast. Sometimes we have to pause a little bit. 
I do wear a few different hats, as you mentioned at the start. So whether I'm talking to a big brand one minute about their global content or whether I'm talking to a community of thought leaders that's, you know, in some part of the world at the next minute, or whether I'm on a podcast the minute after that, you know, so you, you do wear, I think we all wear different hats these days, you know, and I think that's very different only from a generation or two ago where you pretty much had one or two jobs and that was kind of your career. If you were lucky, not quite the way that we work anymore, is it? Do you work with multiple generations and how do you explain technology to your parents' generation or maybe to an intern or someone that you're mentoring? Today, if you'd have asked me that question 15, 20 years ago, I would have looked for people with the right skills, the right background, the right understanding. But today, if you go and do a, a master's degree or a PhD, by the time you finish, the technology's changed anyway. So a computer science degree today, it's good, but tomorrow when you come out, the world's changed. So I think people with an interest, a passion, maybe somebody that can demonstrate something that they've done, I think is a, is a, is a better sort of way. And to answer your question, I don't really, I try not to focus on age, you know, I try not... I I don't really care, you know, whether you're from Mars or whether you're human or whether you are, you know, I don't care how old you are. I don't, you know, I try to really take the person as an individual and look whether they are interested in doing something special. In any time where I've succeeded, it's always because I've had great people around me. And I try to work with people that I like, people that I trust, people that I can feel confident will do the right thing if it come down to it. And you don't always get it right. But to me, that that's not really age dependent. It certainly isn't geography dependent anymore. And to some degree, it's not really education dependent. I mean, for a long time, a lot of the large tech companies wouldn't hire people unless they got a degree from a certain college. It's not necessarily the case anymore. Do you still need smart people? Yeah, you do. But do you need experts? Well, you need somebody who's passionate about learning because it's constantly changing. So the advantage of somebody who's, who's younger is they're going to maybe with you and learn, you know, differently to somebody who's maybe towards their end of the career. But it, it age is kind of becoming, I'm, I know this is, I'm generalizing and it's not the case for some people and some people really struggle with this, but I'm just talking from my own personal perspective. I'm, I'm not really focused on some of the traditional values that we would have held dear when it comes to working with people, smart people, honest people that do the right thing, that want to make a difference, that are passionate about learning. That's what I'm interested in. I couldn't care what planet you're from. Okay. I'm glad you actually brought this up. I heard someone say today, I think the quote was like, smell your cheese often, like question your values often. Like what were you told as a kid that you no longer believe? Yeah, I'm interested. Like you said that in order to get a tech job before, like you had to have a higher degree, you had to go to the right college, you had to network with the right people. Like, do you truly believe that anymore? Can you teach yourself these things, network with the right people and get the opportunities you want? What were you told as a child that you no longer believe? Do you think about those things? Do you question traditional values? Yeah, all the time. If I'm being honest, all the time. I don't want to get drawn into a discussion about traditional education because my views are quite, quite different to what people would expect. I think there's a lot of change for good required when it comes to the way that we teach and the way that we learn. For example, you know, I have children and my children learn extremely fast outside of the traditional education system, much faster than the traditional education system allows. Having said that, when I went to college, universities, etc., it wasn't just about the subjects. It was about the community, back to community again. It was about the people, the experiences, the life. To answer your other, the other part of your question, which is, 
doesn't matter. Well, you've only got to look. I mean, I'm not the only one that points this out. I mean, it's, it's fairly commonly known that a lot of people running a lot of businesses that are doing really, really well didn't finish college, didn't get, you know, a higher level of education. They dropped out to follow a passion and a dream. Are they smart? Yeah. Are they smart enough to be able to put people around them that know more than they do? Yeah. But ultimately, I think, I suppose the bad guys win sometimes, but I, I think the good guys who surround themselves with the right people that try to treat people fairly and honestly, I think they're the ones that typically win. Do you have to work hard? Bet you, bet you do. Does it take everything you've got sometimes? Yes, probably too much. And I, I'm glad that we now focus a lot more on health and wellness than we used to do because a lot of people are suffering with mental health. A lot of people, well, not suffering is the wrong word, but a lot of people are challenged by how to look after themselves from a mental health and a wellness perspective. And a lot of people are still trying to get a handle on that. We used to talk about work-life balance, didn't we, years ago? But now we, we really do have to look after ourselves. I think the pandemic sped up our attitude towards work being something that we do and not necessarily somewhere that we have to go every day why would you why would you do a three-hour commute every day to basically sit and stare at a screen because you can stare at a screen on a beach just as easy as you can stare at a screen in an office uh, in a basement you know so there's lots to be lots of positives to be said but we are still held by a lot of our old beliefs our old way of setting up the office structure, our old way of learning things. But I think slowly in certain quarters, we are throwing off the shackles. We are becoming more, we are leveling up better as a, as a species. I hope that continues. The, the one caveat I would say though, is it's not, it's not, it is not a level playing field. There are people in the world that obviously don't have power on a regular basis. There are people that are struggling for water. A gentleman I was talking to recently, you know, just out digging wells in rural uh, you, uh, rural Uganda because people don't, you know, village of 150 people don't have drinking water. You know, the children have to walk six miles a day just to get enough water to drink. Just, you know, so it's very easy for me to sit here and say, you know, oh, it's all cool and we're changing and we're throwing the shackles off. But depends where you live, depends on the lottery of life. It's not the same for everybody. And I, I do hope in the, uh, this is a real big long-term thinking discussion but i think we can solve that at a global level i don't know if it'll be in my lifetime at all but i i hope we make some significant inroads there for the future but uh, we got to get things like politics and nonsense out of the way and actually start doing what's right for us as a as a species and as a planet and i know that might sound a bit trite and a bit easy as a throwaway comment but we've got such potential and I hope we make it work. I hope we all aren't packing our bags to leave the planet because we messed up. And I think we've got a lot of opportunity to get things much, much right. It's not too late, to, you know, despite what we hear in the headlines. I appreciate your optimism as a mom of four. I am also curious what you've learned about yourself as a dad. What I've learned is, well, look, we're on the Better Call Daddy show. So I've learned as a, as a dad that they normally call dad when there's a problem or cash is required or maybe they just need a hug. So I think some of the things that I've figured out as a dad is I kind of miss my children when they were younger. I kind of miss that now. At the time, it was hard work, you know, and, you know, you're, you're working, you're, you're holding down everything. You know, my wife was just, I couldn't do anything that I've done without her support and commitment. So it truly is a, a team behind the scenes, you know. I think what I've learned about being a dad is that you, you have to give them space. They're all different. They will all have their own problems. The other thing I've learned is that as children get older, the problems don't go away. They just get bigger. It normally costs more money. The only thing you do probably get is a little bit more sleep because they can get up and feed themselves. So I, I think 
from from that perspective, it's funny because my my parents' generation, obviously, my parents are no longer with me, but you know, grandparents are no longer with me. But it's, you know, my wife's side still still around, and I think it's interesting because a grandparents' experience and requirements and their bond with the children is actually very special. And when I think of my my bond with my grandparents, and you'll often hear people talking about their grandparents. And the parents, of course, but there is something quite multi generational about that. And while I know in some cultures they they kind of live together a little bit more, sometimes through necessity, but sometimes through choice. And there is something about wisdom of you know people living together multi generationally rather than this tradition, at least where I live in the world, of where well, you must leave home, you must get a good job, you have to get a, the right education, you have to make X amount of money, you have to go and buy a property, etc., etc., etc. And you kind of start to detach yourself from that wisdom, and then later in life it, you come back around to that when you come up for air the kid the children are a little bit older you're making more than enough money that you need if you if, if you're lucky and then you kind of come back around to what's important in life you know and i think all too often some people get to a certain point in their life or a certain age and realize maybe that what they're doing isn't exactly what they want to be doing or that their beliefs what they want to achieve and what's important to them in life, what a good life looks like is very different to what they thought it was or maybe what they were told that it was. And I think that's I think that's what being a dad is about. It's about being able to at least share your experiences, but also be able to put your hands up and say, look, I don't have all the answers either. And I, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to do that because you're always trying to protect your children. You're always trying to do the best for your children. But sometimes it's okay to say, look, I don't know either. I'm, I'm just clinging onto this rock hurtling through space the same as you. Let's just do the the best we can. Not quite sure that's the answer you were looking for, but that's kind of what sprung to mind. I love that. What is important in your legacy? What is important? What matters? That's a great question because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I spent a bit of time working with an organization that was connected to Paul Newman, the movie actor. He set up something for sick children who couldn't go to camp. It's camp was a it's a big thing in the US. Outside of the US, it's not such a thing. Whereas kids go to camp during the summer, but a lot of children that were suffering with maybe life serious life illnesses couldn't go because they they didn't have the medical support at the camps to look after the children. So he set up these camps around the world. And I did a few years on the board of of an organization that was focused in this area. And that was a life-changing moment for me because it stopped me in my tracks. Up to that point, I felt bulletproof. I felt invincible. I felt as though I was, you know, making more money than anybody I knew. I was jetting around the world. You know, life doesn't get any better. And you start to believe your own press. And then suddenly when you hit, when you realize that people are struggling with real, tangible, life-threatening illnesses, and when they're children, it hits you like a freight train. And that was probably the best few years of my life that I spent doing that, helping that organization. And I think to answer your question, just to move away from that for a minute, so that I just wanted to give you that context. When I think about whether it's some some person that I know putting water into a particular part of the world that hasn't had water ever, because they can't afford the wells, you can't afford the drilling equipment. The, the the terrain is so rough. They can't. They can't. Even if they could get the drilling equipment, they can't get it to where they live. And there's 150 people struggling every day just for water. When I think about that, when I think about my limited experience working in the nonprofit sector, working with uh, a global charity, that there is, you know, I am starting to think long and hard about what I want to be involved in now to make a difference. And I'm, I'm really focused on that legacy. I don't have a good answer today. You know, I can't tell you today that it's it's this or it's that. There are things that I do in a personal capacity that I, you know, I won't share here because I'm, it's just the way that, that I operate, you know, but I do support quite a number of organizations. But I, I just have this kind of side 
plan being worked through at the moment in terms of doing something meaningful. And I don't quite have that ready yet. But as I as I move through my own life, as my children grow, as my financial situation changed over the years, what it does afford you, and this might, I don't want to sound, I don't want this to sound wrong, but it does afford you the opportunity to look and say, well, where can I make a, a positive difference for people? Where can I help? It's very easy to say that. But if you're, if you go through, if you're in a life situation where your only waking thought is how do I make rent? How do I put bread on the table this week? It's very hard to afford yourself the space to focus on the other things that are important in life. And I think there's a duty of care and I think there's a responsibility to people that do have a little bit of space, a little bit of time, and maybe a little bit of money to help in certain endeavors. That's kind of a work in progress as an answer to your question at the moment. Was that important in your family? Was that a value in your family that you saw? I think in some in some elements of my family, in others, no. In parts of my family where it was tough, the environment was harsh, the work was long, pay was bad. If you were lucky to have pay, I think for some elements of my family, on certain sides, no, because it was about survival. In other parts of my family, I think it was more of a consideration because they had, I suppose you can get into the Maslow hierarchy type discussions, but they had a certain level of comfortableness or existence that allowed them to focus on things like that. I'm not saying you can't focus on it, you can't give time if you don't have money, etc. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I don't think it was a huge thing by any stretch of the imagination, Rena. I think it was more a nice to do if you could, at you know, occasionally. It wasn't a, a driving thing, no. But I think as you look at what you could potentially do and the difference you could potentially make, I think, particularly if you've been successful in other areas or you've had, you kind of know how to put things together. I think those kind of people maybe have a responsibility to reach down and help somebody else up, you know. It's not easy, but that that's kind of what I what I think at the moment anyway. What about with your own kids? How do you help them see their gifts yeah. and how do you incorporate them into your work and your mission? For a long time a lot of what I did was for those humans. It was to make sure that they were going to be okay. And then you kind of realize, I think, don't you, that you can't actually guarantee anybody's going to be okay. What you have to do is give them the skills and the tools that they can make things okay themselves. Mm. Because if you're constantly trying to make things okay for them, they don't actually learn the life skills that they need to survive. You know, and it's back to that old, that old sort of line that, you know, anybody can look good when things are going well. It's when things don't go well. It's when the wheel falls off the wagon. It's when the economy crashes. It's when something horrendous goes wrong or, you know, there's a bereavement or something happens that stops life in its tracks. That's when you need the life skills. That's when you need to be able to dust yourself off and say, okay, I can fall forward here. I might not be able to walk forward or stumble forward, but I can just keep falling forward until I get back on my feet here. And I think with my children, at least, I try to equip them. But if they were literally parachuted into the middle of nowhere with nothing, they could probably start to think about improving their situation it's not it's not easy because your tendency at least my tendency is to smother them with love do everything for them make sure they don't experience anything bad and you know but that isn't how you create humans that can look after themselves and make a difference so i'm not perfect i'm like every other dad out there you know i, I make lots of mistakes but if your children love you and they speak to you you're doing something right I love that. Can I ask you one tough question? Sure. Have you ever been stopped in your tracks? Does anything come to mind? Well, I suppose losing a parent is tough. I lost one of my parents when I was very young. That was, I was probably too young to even emotionally deal with that at the time. I think losing a second parent later in life took a year or two just to really 
figure that out. It might sound strange, but that, that's kind of it. The working with sick children, that was a real stop you in your tracks moment. Uh, that was a real, hang on a minute, you have nothing to, to complain about. That was a real stop you in your tracks moment. And then I suppose in business terms, you know, things go really well and things go really bad all the time. And you just have to roll with it sometimes and you just have to do the best that you can. If you're doing what's right and you're putting the effort in, it normally works out okay. It doesn't always. Sometimes some things go wrong and sometimes you just have to call it and say, okay, mess this up. But to come back to your question about things that stop you in your tracks, it's normally not work. It's normally it's normally life, family, and love. It, it's people that you care about and something happening to them, at least in my experience. There's very little in the, I suppose if some, some crazy person decides to let off a load of nuclear weapons, that might stop me in my tracks. But other than chaos, you know, of that old magnitude, what happens in today's newspaper or what happens to that sort of stuff, I don't think stops me in my tracks anymore at all. I don't pay attention to most of it. But when it comes to people that you love and that you care about, I think that's the only stuff that that can truly stop you in your tracks. But then if you've got the tools on board, and this might sound callous, and I, I really don't mean to sound callous, but if you've got the tools on board to work through that, the earth will keep turning. Whether you like it or not, another day will, will start. So even when you're at your deepest, darkest moment, the sun will rise and you will have another chance. And that's, that's difficult sometimes because sometimes it can feel for people there is no point continuing on, that it's too tough. And sometimes you need to reach out and ask for help from people, you know. The world will keep spinning whether you whether you decide to get up and fall forward or not. It will keep turning. The sun will continue to rise. So, you know, I maybe I'm too optimistic, you know, maybe I'm one of those the glass is always half full, you know, type of people. But I don't I don't think so. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are other things that will stop me in my tracks, you know. But uh, when you ask me the question, that's what comes to mind anyway, Rina. I love your optimism, and I hope this doesn't sound callous, but do you think that AI or robots might be able to help with some of these injustices like the children? Actually, I was thinking about that when you brought up that organization. Do you see AI at all playing a part in being able to raise funds or in being able to create videos for them or exposing them to better doctors or care? Have yeah, you thought I, about I, that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And I think that I think AI has a large part to play when it comes to mental health. I think it has a large part to play in terms of the world of medicine, pharmacy, the life sciences sector, the healthcare sector in general. I think it has a, a very large part to play and we haven't really yet seen that. We're kind of in this web 2.0, smart devices, your Apple Watch, what's my heartbeat? What's my blood pressure? That's kind of where it's at at the moment. But when you suddenly start putting all this data into learning models and it can work its way through that data and we're seeing some very early significant studies around diagnosis around improvements around drug development i'm not saying look i'm you know i'm not a specialist in this area but it looks like it can help significantly even to the point of and this might sound a little bit far-fetched at the moment but to the point of in japan for example you know they they've been trialing for many many years robotics and ai in terms of being able to talk to people elderly people you know from a companion point of view now we can get very i robot on the discussion and quite scared but you know maybe Elon Musk will roll out some kind of robot that you put in your house that be that becomes a companion that helps you that can talk to you can I see that happening sooner rather than later in this environment yeah I can will it work I hope so 
Will it all go horribly wrong? Maybe. But I do think it can. I do think there's an awful lot we can do there. And we're already using, you know, technology and science is already very interlinked anyway. And it has to be. But there are bad actors in that too. There are some people that, uh, whether it's genome sequencing machines or whether it's people who, you know, end up being taken to court because what they're actually selling isn't actually working or isn't actually true. There's lots of examples of things where people get a little bit ahead of themselves. And it's that challenge between making sure it's safe for people and rolling it out fast enough. So will it help? Yeah. How long is it going to take? I'm not sure is the honest answer. Can it help in terms of providing better information to people? Yes. Can it help? Can it also not help by providing misinformation? Yeah, it can. And we haven't fixed that fully yet. So we have to be careful there. I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say about this. He is going to be... Me neither. That, I'm really interested. <laughs> really interested in this conversation. Is there anything that you would like to ask him? Does he still wear the hat that's on every image of the podcast? Has he got a selection of hats? What's his favorite hat? And has he got one with a feather in it? Look, I love I'm more that. I'm more interested in what your father has to say, what what dad has to say about this episode. So I'll be listening intently. Well, hopefully, I, it's, hopefully it's nice, but we will see what he says. He's really interested in the future and genetics and science. So this is not really something that I've talked to him about. I'm, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Yeah, and I think when you talk about genetics as well, we have to be very careful, don't we? Because we're not talking about creating an inverted commas, the master race, right? Let's let's not get carried away here, you know, and there's, there's kind of the military side of things, there's government side of things, there's dictators, there's a whole melting pot of challenges and problems here. But I'm going to come back to one of the very first things we started to talk about, which is I'm optimistic that we'll use AI for good. I hope so. I love that. Okay, let people know how they can find you, best connect with you, all the good stuff. I'm in far too many places. If you just put my name into Google, that'll probably come up. Although maybe we won't be doing that in the future. I don't know. Maybe it'll be some other tool or technology. But LinkedIn, I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, just put my name in. I'll I'll pop up. And I'm 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 all over the place. I'm involved in lots of different things. So it's I'm hard to miss. Yeah. If people want to reach out and connect, I'm happy to connect. Amazing. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Hey, where's the hat? You still wear the hat? Sometimes. I do love the hat, and I have three or four or five hats. The fact is, is that when it's really hot out, I go naked on the head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, Simon is right on key about what artificial intelligence potential is, but more importantly what accumulating knowledge is about. This is a tool that could be for good, but just like any tool, it could be used for bad things happening and bad results. It can help you steal better. It can help you uh, control certain things where our freedoms could be inhibited. It could even be developed where the artificial intelligence, instead of us using it as a tool, it could be used against human beings down the road. So just like on any new tool, you have to be able to make sure that it's functioning in a positive manner and in a growing manner. But can you imagine being able to take someone's history and be able to control every variable that's already been done as a use in chess? There are a certain amount of squares on the board. There's a certain amount of pieces and the directions that they move in. And the fact is, is that with artificial intelligence, you can determine almost every 
sequential possibility that exists on the chessboard where it'll be very hard for a human being to beat a computer that is developed at a high speed that can take over all of the moves of the board. A human being is not able to think of every single past move and every possibility where if it comes down to the computer or the person, my money would be on the computer at this point because the computer has access to really every possibility and all the moves. And yet Simon said something very interesting also. The moves would have had to been played if someone has come up with some new creative idea that hasn't been done yet. That's the key that we have to remember is that we shouldn't get used to just a rote answer. We have to still be able to promote and encourage creativity, okay? And what I really liked about what Simon said is that you could go to the Harvard or to Yale or any Ivory League school or top school. You could study medicine or law or uh, analysis of, of any science and maybe have an education that is where people would be quite envious of it. But yet, if you think you have all the answers, no matter where you went, if you don't have a passion to keep learning and to keep an open mind to things, because the, the world continues to evolve and the possibilities continue to evolve. So if you think you know it all because you have some kind of piece of paper on the wall, he's making it very clear that it doesn't matter where you studied. There are tools that are out there in the marketplace today that give you an opportunity to keep developing your mind. And that's a far more important thing to do than to look at the wall and say, look where I came from, look what I did. That's in the past. You have to be able to continue to carve out a path for the future. And artificial intelligence hopefully will be used to help carve out a faster and a better path for the future. And where we take into consideration all the variables that artificial intelligence has the quality to give you. But, you know, we've discussed this before. If you give somebody a gun, it can be used for a positive defense. It could be used for, you know, you know, people who have wanted to do hunting in the, in the day. You have to have, you know, access to being able to, uh, if you're living off the land and you're living in the woods, it's a little harder to do with a, a bow and arrow versus a, a gun. But any development weapon is just a tool to try to get to the end point. It's going to get your meal. But the fact is, is that if you don't use the bow and arrow right, or if you don't use the gun right, and there's somebody that gets in your path as you're shooting an animal, how many times has there been hunting accidents where, whether it's a bow and arrow or whether it's a uh, a gun, where, where they shoot the party that they're with or somebody else that's hunting? But we have to still make sure that certain levels of safety are taken at whatever tool that we're using. I also want to relate that a little bit even further to life because he did mention that he was trying to teach his kids how to live when the wheel falls off the wagon. Well, isn't that what we talked about even earlier today is that uh, you can do all the planning, all the figuring out of what you want to do with your life. And mysteriously, one would say, hey, some shit hits the fan. What do I do now? And that's the thing, is that there's a lot of people that can be very smart and understanding things. If it comes out of the book, I, I'll do it this way. Or it comes out of the book, I can do it that way. But that's not life fully either. You have to be able to adjust and take your experiences and knowledge 
and be able to debate an issue right on the spot, okay? And with not necessarily any preparation or studying or looking it up on the computer, you got to be able to have enough sense to be able to do things that aren't necessarily obvious. Or spelled out. Or spelled out for you. So you have to have a goal of also developing your own personal wisdom has to continue to be elevated. And how does that happen without experiencing life and all its choices and possibilities yourself? And uh, a, a lot of people don't want to live under other people's sets of rules and guidelines. They want to figure out what's going to make them tick on their own. And we're all here to encourage and guide everyone on the Better Call Daddy show, but you still have to live your own life and you got to find your own way and your own path. We all live in this maze of life, but we all have to find our own path out of it. Hats off to you, Simon. Touche. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now. 